Romans chapter 8. And what I want to do this evening is I want to uh, close the message from this morning. And, and I know you've given me much attention, and more importantly, you're giving God's Word attention, and that is what we need. So let's look together once more at this and just bring it to the close tonight. I want to remind you of the things that were shared this morning just in the way of kind of a clean outline of, of that teaching this morning. Four powerful helps to overcome the flesh and to be spiritually minded followers of Jesus. And we looked at two of those this morning. The first one was the relevance of our thinking. Now let's just read the verses again, bring us to where we are. Romans chapter 8, verse number 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. You will never rope the flesh into compliance with God's law. You never will. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And so the battle always begins in the thought life. Who is in control there? Uh, whether it's going to be the flesh or the Spirit, one. And as we said this morning, somewhere between the phroneo and the phronema, we need an intervention. If you don't remember those words, that is the mind that is beginning to entertain a thought that leads to a mind that is now chasing after that thing and, and pursuing that thing. And somewhere between those two, we need to disrupt the thoughts of the carnal mind by bringing the mind back to the spirit and not to dwell on the thoughts that are toward the flesh and toward sin. So again, thinking on Philippians 4, 8, the things that are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and worthy of praise, that we think on those things that we think or pray for to have the mind of Christ. I want to see as Christ does and think as Christ does and, and respond or react as Christ does. And so always sort out what I'm fixing my attention on by those standards. Is what I'm fixing my attention on helping me to think on the pure things, the lovely things, the good things? Is it helping me to develop the mind of Christ or is it pulling me away from that? So the relevance of our thinking. The second thing was the relevance of our choices. In verse 12, he says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. You owe the flesh nothing. But it'll take everything. I mean, it'll, it, it'll take, and it'll take, and it'll steal, and it'll connive. But you owe the flesh nothing. He says in verse 13, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So, what we learned is that every choice we make in life matters. Every choice matters. And it either leads us toward a walk with the Spirit of God or toward the control of the flesh. And we need to make that choice early on. We need to make that choice immediately, right away, to dismiss the thoughts that lead to wrong choices. In 2 Corinthians 10, 5, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Every thought is to be arrested taken hold of and brought into subjection to Christ. Is this thought right? Is this thought appropriate? Is this thought uh, what, should be, what I should be thinking in this moment? And, and so we, we bring them all into the obedience of Christ. We are to crucify. That is, put to death the deeds 
of our flesh. We are to crucify it. That's what he tells us when it comes to the relevance of our choices. And what does that mean? Again, it means to live by faith. Galatians 2.20, we won't turn there. I just gave you that this morning. But we are to deny the flesh's solutions and answers to life's problems because it always has it. When you are angry, stressed, disappointed, frustrated, the, stress will all, or the flesh will offer you solutions. They will never be the right ones. And we have to deny the flesh. We have to crucify it by living by faith. I am turning to Jesus in that moment and saying, Lord, you are the one with the answers. You're the one that will supply my need. And then we crucify the flesh by walking in the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 and 18. And you can look again at those verses later on. But we ask the question, how then do we walk in the Spirit? How do we do that? Well, number one, we stay close to Jesus. We just stay close to Jesus. And so that begs the question, how do we do that? I mean, Jesus is in heaven, right? How do I stay close to Jesus? Well, you stay close to Jesus by praying. By talking to him, by asking Jesus, Jesus, I need your help in my life. Jesus, I want to be close to you. I want to walk with you. I want to hear from you. Jesus, do you have something for me right now? Do you have a way to help me through this right now? And so we do it by prayer. We do it by reading the Gospels. These are just practical things. But when you read the Gospels, you're reading Jesus, right? You're seeing him. You're seeing how he, how he worked, how he moved, how he thought, how he acted. And we speak about Jesus to others often. That's how we stay close to Jesus. We need to talk about Jesus, don't we? I mean, who's your hero tonight? It ought to be Jesus, really. He ought to be the number one topic of discussion he ought to be the first one we're looking to in our life so we stay close to jesus that's how you walk in the spirit but you also walk in the spirit by turning all your troubles over to god stop rushing into the problems and trying to fix everything boy that's hard for some of you that might not be that difficult but for some of us it's really hard we see things that aren't right and they need to be fixed and we want to fix them and, and often we just break stuff. And so instead of doing that, we, we learn how to cast everything on him. Jesus invites us to do that. Matthew 11, 28, 29, he said, All you that are weary and heavy laden, come unto me. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, we're to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt us in due time, casting all our care upon him, for he careth for us. Right? We are to do that. We're to... Turn our troubles over to God. And so we walk in the Spirit by doing that. And so this crucifying the flesh, we live by faith, we walk in the Spirit, and the third thing we considered was glory in the work of Christ. You remember, this is where we ended this morning. But we're to glory in the work of Christ, not the flesh. Now, I tell you, people love to glory in the flesh. You think about it, so much of society is built upon glorying in the flesh. I mean, look what they can do. Look how talented they are. Look what they've accomplished. And we glory in the, the ability of flesh when we should be glorying in the gifts of God. In Galatians 6, 14 was the one Paul said. I, I want to read that one. I, I want to turn there because I want to show you that whole verse just as we wrap this, these reminders up. Paul says in Galatians 6, 14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this last part. 
by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Now, that's bonus material right there. When we glory in the work of Christ, we're not only crucifying the flesh, but the world's being crucified in our life. Now, there's a whole lot of teaching that could come out of that and a whole lot of practical help that could come out of that, but I'll tell you, this one thing that comes across my mind, when everybody's doing this and you're starting to feel pretty good about it, there's a problem, right? There's a problem. But I, I, I believe this with all my heart. If we really learn to glory in the work of Christ, there'll be less of this. There, there just will be. And I'm telling you, when you get around it where everybody's just excited and stirred up about personality and performance, that's a problem. They should be stirred up about the presence of the one whom we're exalting and whose name we're lifting up. We should glory, Paul said, in nothing but the cross, what Jesus has done in our life and what he continues to do in our life. Let that be our glory. Never, 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 never boast or get excited about the flesh. Never celebrate the flesh. Never celebrate anyone's flesh. Now, I would summarize all that by saying that walking in the Spirit would by necessity include four things, just four words. Those of you that like to write things down, and especially when they all start with the same letter. But listen, to walk in the Spirit would by necessity, and this isn't just a clever outline, this is actual necessity. It would include reading. You will not walk in the Spirit without reading the Scriptures regularly. You must read them, not just once a day, but throughout your day, you must stay with God's Word. It would include reflecting, to think about what we've read, and to repeat and share with others what we've been reading. It's, it's reflecting it back. I've, I'm receiving it and I'm giving it back. It would include releasing. That's that turning everything over to Him. You know? It's hard to walk in the Spirit when we're walking around like this. You know? And I don't know about you, but I think I'm right in saying that you, you get like this kind of like I get like this, right? I mean like at least once a day. <laughs> You know, and so we've got to learn to release that. Just let it go. Lord, I, I can't carry this. I can't do anything about it. I heard a story, and I wish I could remember the, I think it was, it was a missionary. I think it was Hudson Taylor because he was in China. And a number of his other missionary helpers were, had been arrested and were, some of them were being, they were being in prison, some of them were being beaten. And uh, Hudson Taylor would walk about the streets, go about his business, singing unto the Lord and, and whistling and just praising God. And someone approached him and said, how can you do that when your brothers are going through the suffering they're going through? And I, I, I'm not going to get it exactly right, his reply, but it was to this effect. He said, well, what would you have me do? He said, if I do any other, it's not going to help them. And it's only going to keep me from doing what God has called me to do. What a great outlook, right? He said, I, I just let that go. So it would require reading and reflecting and releasing, but then it will require rejoicing. To walk in the Spirit requires rejoicing. It requires the time uh, throughout our day. We're taking time to turn our attention to the Lord and say, God, you are good. You are wonderful. You are great. You are my all in all. I, I was mowing the yard yesterday and listening to some, some uh, music, and I just... 
I typed, uh, tapped in or typed in whatever on my uh, Amazon music thing. I just picked worship music. Well, now, you'll get all kind of stuff when you do that, but I was just letting it play. And, you know, if I hear one that sounds like something weird, I just skip it, you know. And I come across one, and I tell you what, I've never heard Christian hip-hop before. Now, that's probably not the right word. Christian, maybe it was, well, that might be the right word, but I tell you what, I, mowing my yard, I got into that a little bit. The song was, everybody needs Jesus. I was like, you're right, man, you're right, that's right. And uh, it, was, it was pretty good. And, uh, but then I, I found this one, it was a couple, I don't know if they're husband and wife, whatever, but they put a compilation of just several songs together. Most of you would know all these songs, but they'd done it so beautifully with just a piano. And uh, when I got done listening to it, I listened to it again. <laughs> just mowing the yard became a time of rejoicing. And I sent a link to it to Brother Corey, and, and I said, uh, I dare you not to shout. And uh, he replied uh, sometime later, this will cure what ails you. So maybe I should have sent it to everybody. Anyway, there needs to be rejoicing in our life. All right, I've got to move on here. So we, we have the relevance of our thoughts and our choices, uh, but all that needs to be guided by the parameters of truth, which is the third thing tonight I want to give you, and that is to say we have, as a powerful help to walk in the Spirit and deny the flesh, we have the resource of sacred knowledge. The resource of sacred knowledge. Now, it, it would be enough to say what Jesus said you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And this whole book is the resource of sacred knowledge, right? And again, I repeat again and again, I cannot say it enough how badly, how necessary it is that we are in God's Word. And uh, if you're having trouble, you say, Preacher, I try to read the Bible. Now listen, I'm about to invite you to do something. You say, preacher, I know I should read the Bible, but I really struggle with it. It is just something I'm not, I'm just not doing well with it. I try, and it's hard. Call me, you know, come see me, invite me to come see you, serve something besides Maxwell House, and call me to come see you, okay? And, and I, I might have some helps to that, because I understand that. I understand that's a, that's a challenge, okay? But I promise you, God wants you to read his word and understand it because it is the key. The resource of sacred knowledge helps us live a spiritual life and deny the flesh. There are certain facts which, if I want to live a spiritual life and deny the flesh, I need to live up to those facts. These are strengthening truths that I need to acknowledge and act on, and these help us to draw strength and encouragement when we're in conflict with our flesh. Now, we considered some important spiritual facts on Wednesday night out of Romans chapter 6. I want to repeat those just now. Some of you may have those in, in notes that you took, but uh, these were important spiritual facts that we need to understand from Romans 6. Uh, number one, I am saved, redeemed, and I am in Christ. That's an important fact. Okay, so in this whole thing of struggling with the flesh and the battle with sin, it is important that I remember and know I am in Jesus, okay? I'm saved. I am His. And the second fact is, I still have sin at work in my life. And when we can't bury our head on that and say, we're just going to go ahead and acknowledge it. It's there. Sin is always at the door, just clawing and clamoring and trying to get in. Third thing we considered was, I am not under the power of sin. That's very important, and that was a lot of the focus Wednesday night. I am not under the power of sin. Sin has no control in my life, no power in my life that I don't give it. And how does sin have power in my life? It gets it through my flesh. My flesh, who I yield to, gives power to sin. Sin then has some power because I surrendered to the wrong one. Okay? 
But sin itself, I am not under the power of sin. The fourth thing was the grace of God frees me from the guilt and the penalty of my sin. So when you sin, when I sin. Well, we don't want to, right? We don't want to. Be great if we never sin again after today. <laughs> Just, all right, like today's list, but that's it. I'm done now. Not likely to happen unless the Lord calls us home. But when we do sin, we know it's a fact. I'm not under that guilt. I am free from that because I belong to Jesus. And boy, I tell you, if you, didn't, if you aren't here Wednesday night, I'd encourage you to go and listen to that. Uh, it'll help you. And then the fifth thing was grace does not allow me to say, however, even though sin is at work and even though it's a real thing, grace does not allow me to say, oh, well, since I'm saved and since I seem to not be able to get rid of sin, I'll just go ahead and let my flesh run wild and, and grace will cover me. It does not allow that. Paul said in Romans 6, 1 and 2, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now, in Romans chapter 8, and I won't do a lot with these, but there's a whole other set of sacred knowledge facts that help us, and, and they're similar, they're, they're very similar, but... The first one is in verse 1 and 2 where he tells us, again, I belong to Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death, and I am glad tonight that I belong to Jesus. And this gives me power to live free. And what that means is, is that when I fail, when I mess up, I don't lay down and just quit. When I sin, I don't just lay there and say, oh, woe is me. No, I am in Jesus, and I have the freedom to stand back up and, and get back at it. And not just quit. Now, I'll tell you something. There are people, people sitting in churches all over, that got so discouraged about a sin they've been battling. And, man, that thing just kicks them and knocks them down and knocks them down and kicks them, and, and they let it keep them down. And they get discouraged, and they just kind of just quit. They just kind of, they come to church, and they, they're just kind of there. But man, this thing's just got them. I want to tell you something. That's you tonight. Kind of remind you of some facts. If you've believed on Jesus, you belong to him. And sin has no power in your life. And grace frees you from the guilt of it. And so you are free to stand back up and say, I know I failed. I know that was sin, but it was sin in me. I love God, and I belong to Him, and I'm going to resist that sin, and I'm going to keep on serving God. We also learn again that our flesh can never please God. Verse 7 and 8 of the chapter, we read them earlier, but just to remind you that God takes no pleasure in our flesh. Our flesh... You know, He will never sanction our flesh. And our flesh literally fights against the work of God in our life. So think about this. When you do yield your, your body to the flesh, the carnal, the sensual, the desire to please self, when you yield your body to that, you are in compliance with the enemy of God. You are all of a sudden, you know, like changing uniforms in the middle of the game. Yeah, I think I'll go over here and play for this team a while. <laughs> you know, that's what you're doing. And so we're not supposed to ever give the flesh any ground because it cannot please God and God will never sanction it and God will never say, well, that's okay. You know, we have a lot of that, don't we? We have a lot of that in our, our casual Christian lives. We have a lot of that, you know, it's not that big a deal. Come on, it's not that big a deal. 
You know, I know the preacher says what he says. That's just preaching. That's Sunday stuff. But, you know, it, it's not that big a deal. I'm going to tell you the truth now, and it's coming right out of the Bible there. Your flesh will never please God. God will never sanction it. Crucify it, deny it, cover it up, kill it! It's the only way you can handle it. So, flesh can never please God. And then, it's important to remember the Spirit of God lives in me. As verse 9 has said, if you belong to Christ, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord is in us. And that's the source of true life. So we, we please the Spirit, not the flesh. The Spirit is the one who gives me the power to crucify the flesh. As verse 13 says, If ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Looking this morning, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. If you go back, you don't go back, but I'm saying that, that chapter has such a correlation to this whole study. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But Paul says, when he's speaking to the Corinthians on their immaturity, remember he got on to them, he said, you should, you know, you should be on meat, but you're still on milk. I can't, I can't give you the meat because you're not growing in Christ. And he says this in verse 16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now, I want to say something very important right there. Every single one of us are a part, every single one of us that are born again, we are a part of the temple of God. But what Paul says there, he says, Know ye not. That's plural. All of you collectively are the temple of God. Now, there's an important thing to bring out right there. Again, my responsibility to my brothers and sisters. And if I am doing something that is defiling the temple, I, I am bringing corruption and I'm bringing hardship upon my brothers and sisters. And Paul is trying to call that out among them. Because remember, the big conflict that Paul highlights in that chapter is the one says, well, I'm of Apollos. I, I, I only listen to Apollos. Apollos, he's, got the, he's the good preacher. I like him. I'll go anywhere he... Boy, if Apollos is preaching, I don't care if we're having church, I'm going to go hear Apollos preach. I like him. He's my guy. Oh, yeah, well, I follow Peter. Peter's my guy. You know, and Paul was saying, all of you, just a bunch of carnal babies. You're following personalities. Well, I guess it's time to say it again. Diesel sniffing. <laughs> wherever, wherever Peter's bus pulls in, that's where you'll be found. Why? Because you're carnal. You need to follow Christ. Okay, not a man, not a personality. And so he's saying that we are the temple of God. And then God, verse 13 through 17, it just gives us this one more fact. God is my father and Jesus is my brother. God is my father. Jesus is my brother. I need to live like I belong to them. Now seriously, think about this illustration. This is how it occurred to me as I was studying on this yesterday. A lot of Christians live, now all of you that have raised teenagers, now you that are teenagers or have recently been teenagers, God bless you, you grow out of it, you, you know, we all did it, okay? So this isn't pointing fingers. But a lot of Christians live like teenagers going through that rebellious stage. And you know what that is, right? They put on an act when they're at home, when they're around mom and dad, they kind of behave a certain way, but as soon as they're out with their friends, they're like an entirely different person. No integrity, no integrity, because there's no integritas. And that is the Latin word for unity, oneness. No integritas with God. Until we are one with God, we have no integrity in any facet of our life, any true integrity. And so we need to 
understand this sacred knowledge that God is my father, Jesus is my brother, and I need to live like I'm part of that family. Okay? So we have the resource of sacred knowledge. And then, let me give you this fourth thing. We have the realities of the spiritual life. Now, this is the entire second half of Romans chapter 8. I'm not going to read all this, but I am going to read part of it. But this is wonderful, helpful truth. Okay, we're, remember, now don't get lost. We're still talking about our battle with the flesh. We're still talking about that conflict with worldliness. Our flesh loves it. Our flesh thrives on sin. In the remainder of the chapter, there are certain truths about life and the world and God that I need to know and hold close to. But I just want to give you two main thoughts, okay? Number one, suffering is unavoidable and necessary. Suffering is unavoidable and necessary. Paul begins to describe this in verse 17 down through verse 30. He even talks about not only the sufferings of the believer, but the suffering, the groaning of creation. All that agony and all that turmoil that's going on inside of our lives and inside of creation. Why? Because of sin. Because of unrighteousness. Now, suffering is unavoidable and necessary. Suffering through trial and temptation, through battles and pains, all of it, as children of God, it is teaching us to hope. It is teaching us to look to God and to look for the coming of Jesus. We learn through suffering to look for His help and to look for His deliverance and to look for His coming. Suffering, every kind of suffering, helps us to be detached from this world. Holly, when we were on the mission trip, and I don't remember what it was, we were sitting there one night in the team meeting and she mentioned how something was bothering her foot or something was, you know, it had been hard that day to walk and, uh, and that just opened up that whole point. Good. Good. That suffering is how we enter into partnership with Jesus. When we are out here doing the work of the Lord and it is hurting or it is costing us, we are suffering in any way. That is good. That is teaching us to rely on Him. That is teaching us to look to Him for strength. It is teaching us to long for His coming. Suffering helps us to be detached from this world. Hey, let me tell you about your flesh. Your flesh will always scream and kick against suffering. Your flesh will say, why me? This isn't fair. That's the flesh talking. Every time, that's the flesh talking. It demands to be left alone. It demands to be allowed to flourish in this world. No suffering allowed. That's the flesh. Kempis has such a great insight into the role of suffering in our life. There's so many passages in, in his book, The Imitation of Christ. This is one. It is good for us sometimes to have troubles and adversities, for trouble often compels a man to search his own heart. Pause. How little we do that on our own volition. This afternoon, I was sitting there talking with Athena, and, and I was asking this question in my heart, and then I asked it aloud with the purpose of, I want to understand more ways to help you. 
I want to understand more ways to help you walk with God and grow. And I, I began to think about what, what would the, and, and I'm just using terms, so I, I hope they don't sound offensive, but what would the average church member do right now this afternoon? What are they doing right now? Church is over and they go home. How do they spend their afternoon? And, and I was just kind of thinking through that process of, you know, we, we get in habits and routines and we kind of distance from the moment of learning and, and then we come back at night and we may or may not be aligned and we need to get... And I was just thinking through that process of how you help. And I thought to myself, I think a lot of people, we don't even want to enter into our inner man and, and try to process things. And, and I think that's why we either are on our phones now, today, and in times gone by, that would be why we would just turn the television on. We would just tune out. I don't really want to think about stuff, you know. I want to deal with stuff. And that's not a good, that's not good. That's not the right answer, Christians. Not the right answer. We need to deal with the stuff inside of us. We need to think through things. We need to process things. We need to work through it. Brother Tommy back there was sharing with me this morning uh, after the service about some stuff he'd been working through and praying over with God. I like to hear that. I like to hear that. It encourages me to hear it for my own life. And we need to think to it. But he, he said it, it compels us to search our own heart. It reminds a man that he is an exile here in this world and that he can put his trust in nothing in this world. When a good man is troubled, tempted, or vexed by evil thoughts, he comes more clearly than ever to realize his need of God, without whom he can do nothing good. Then, as he grieves and laments his lot, he turns to prayer amid his misfortunes. Suffering, I said, is very good for us. Now, let me just say this last thing. We're talking about some facts some, or, or, or some realities about the spiritual life. Suffering is unavoidable and necessary. Uh, there's so much more we, we, we could say about that. Let's let Peter summarize that. 1 Peter 4, 1, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. You want to blow your mind? Just read Hebrews. Just go read Hebrews. Hebrews 5, I believe it is. Go read about how Jesus learned obedience. Oh, now you talk about something that'll get you. First of all, it'll get you like, oh. Then when it starts settling in, it'll be like, oh, yes, I'm glad I know him. I'm glad that's my Savior. He ain't some, you know, some poster boy Savior. He ain't some, you know, angel. No, this is the guy that did it all and suffered it all and won it all for me. Hebrews. But here's the last thing. Suffering is unavoidable. But friends, you can take this home tonight. Separation from God is impossible. Child of God, can I summarize verse 28 through 39 for you? Absolutely nothing that can separate you from God's love for you. Okay? And that is some very helpful thing, uh, helpful thing to know about the spiritual life. Those who are in Christ, nothing can take you from Christ. Nothing can separate you from God. And why does that matter? Because it gives me encouragement and restoration when I fail to defeat the flesh. I don't have to surrender. I, I don't have to believe the lie that says, well, this is just how I am. But I get back up and I resume my fight. Why? 
separation from God is impossible. Just consider the list of truths. In verse 29 and 30, it tells us God has chosen you. God has chosen you. Now, don't complicate that. Don't get all, don't, don't get the willy tingles. Well, I don't know what that means, preacher. It means just what it says. God chooses you. If you want me to make a, a, some application, think about yourself this week. There may be times, knowing what you know about you, that you would decide he ain't worth it anymore. She ain't worth it anymore. But I want to tell you something. God chooses you. He chose you. He chooses you to become like Jesus. You just read it, verse 29 and 30. And then, uh, let me tell you, God is for you. Verse 31 and 32 tell us. What shall we then say? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God is for you. God has chosen you. God is for you. Let me tell you something, Christian. Christ is defending you. Verse 33 through verse 37. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who's even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Christ is defending you. And God loves you. Verse 37 through 39. As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, what things? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, battles with the flesh, and all these things. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You have Christ's identity, Christ's security, Christ's victory, Christ's charity. God loves you, and you cannot be separated from him.